Imagine a comic book world where Oswald Cobblepot is an upstanding citizen. Victor Freeze is a renowned doctor famous for saving the life of his wife. Edward Nigma is one of Gotham City's most respected detectives. And the Joker, whomever he is under that mop of green hair, never fell into that vat of chemicals. Imagine all of that, if you please, and then answer me this. In that world, does anyone really care about Batman? Who is the Dark Knight without his rogues gallery? Just some weirdo in a cape and cowl beating up common street thugs. A vigilante, perhaps, whom Gotham's police department, along with straight-as-an-arrow district attorney Harvey Dent, probably catch and lock up fairly shortly after he appears. Hey, look, Francis! Billionaire Bruce Wayne thought he'd moonlight as a superhero, beating up common purse thieves and bank robbers. I hope he likes his rooms padded. What a nutbar! The point I'm trying to make, my friends, is, without the villain, who needs a hero? If not for Rowdy Roddy Piper, wrestling fans in the 1980s wouldn't have needed Hulk Hogan nearly as much as they did. Piper was the antithesis of the Hulkster, a loudmouth braggart who would go to any lengths, no matter how heinous, in order to win. Did people tune in to the very first WrestleMania to watch Hulk Hogan triumph, or to watch Roddy Piper get what was coming to him? Did we enjoy last year's SummerSlam because Brock Lesnar was dominant, or because John Cena got dominated? The answer to these two questions is probably a little of column A, and perhaps a lot of column B. Rowdy Roddy Piper wasn't the poster boy of the World Wrestling Federation really at any point during his career. But in many cases, you watched just to see what that crazy kilted Canadian would do next. He was must-see TV long before Friends or Seinfeld, one of wrestling's great speakers, sound bites, and overall showmen. Whether it was bashing a coconut over Jimmy Snooker's head, refereeing the Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund I quit match, or wrestling Goldust in a Hollywood backlot brawl, there will never be another Roddy Piper. The thoughts of myself, everyone at the New Age Insiders, and the entire wrestling world go out to his family and friends. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And now, this is the Neighborhood Podcast. With New Age Insider's Chief of Staff, D.C. Matthews. Welcome to the Neighborhood Podcast. My name is D.C. Matthews, at D.C. Matthews NAI, and I am the Chief of Staff of the New Age Insider's the premier place for wrestling fans to connect, discuss, and to be heard. In case you've accidentally stumbled upon the work of NAI because of a Google search for Ethel Merman gone completely wrong, the New Age Insiders are Jason Sugarsleeves Maltov, at New Age Insiders, Liam the Stare of Death Striker, at Liam NAI, and the best podcast, pro- and the best podcast producer in the business, Bill 
Mr. Bliss Neville, at Bill Neville, NAI. I could have used Bill Neville's help last night, that's for sure. After discussing the idea for two years, if not longer, and having it never ever transpire, last night my good friend and the other half of the number two contenders, Doc Manson and I, sat down to record a wrestling podcast. Now, I usually record here in the neighborhood studios on my desktop computer. But since I wasn't going to drag that desktop computer all the way over to Doc's house, I decided to try a brand new recording program on my Chromebook. And for 50 minutes and 43 seconds, Doc Manson and I had a wonderful time talking all things wrestling. That's when Shockwave crashed and we lost the entirety of our recording. Nobody's fault, really, though it does mean that this week's Neighborhood Podcast is a fly-by-the-seat-of-the-chief-of-staff's-briefs edition. Anyway, let's get back into that intro patter. We have a website, newageinsiders.com, where you can find information on NAI's upcoming events, such as their trip to Brooklyn in just a few weeks to meet you and to see NXT TakeOver. You can also click Discuss to find all of the news that's fit to print from ace reporter Brandon McIntyre, at Brandon Mac, NAI, and articles, op-eds, and columns from myself, as well as our NAI team, featuring Shannon Scott, at Rebel Dentist NAI, Magnum, at Magnum NAI, and the Queen Heel herself, Elsie Morgan, at The Queen Heel. Also, each and every Friday, you are able to post your own thoughts and columns on NAI Fan Friday. And as a new segment here on the Neighborhood Podcast, let's take a look at this past Fan Friday and see what the neighborhood had on its collective brain. Fan Friday this week was kicked off by Tyler, at MoTWWE, who wrote a truly wonderful column about the G1 tournament in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I got the chance to read this article on Thursday night, and the list of things I learned about this epic event, while not quite Jericho move list in length, was quite long in its own right. For instance, I didn't even know that G1 stood for Grade 1. Tyler gives you everything you need to know about the tournament and the stars involved, so if you've been watching, or if you're considering catching up, make sure to check out Tyler's work on NewAgeInsiders.com before you go to NJPWWorld.com. Here's a random aside. NJPW is a hard acronym to say off the top of your head. Our next column was our very own DCS Ashley. And in case you're curious, DCS stands for Delightfully Chipper Superfan. Or at least, that's what it stands for here on the Neighborhood Podcast, which, just like WWE, is rated PG. It's occurring to me right now that DCS is probably not right based on the original acronym. It's probably DSC. I'll have to go check that. But if that's the case, then we'll say it's the delightfully swell, cool Ashley. As I said, the fly by the seat of the pants edition of the Neighborhood Podcast. Anyways, Ashley lists her top five injuries in pro wrestling. I'm guessing this was based on Cena's broken nose from Monday Night Raw, and she covers just about all the big ones. Sid's broken leg has always been my worst one, since you actually see his leg bend in ways that legs aren't supposed to bend. Mick Foley losing his ear is bad as well, I guess, but that tends to blend in with all of the other injuries that Mick Foley has sustained. 
Others not on Ashley's list that might contend would be Sabu's broken neck, thanks to, if my memory serves, a Chris Benoit suplex, Triple H's quad that rolled up like a pull-down shade, and Brock Lesnar's botched shooting star press. Now, I know that Brock Lesnar may not have injured himself significantly during that move, but I do remember watching it live and thinking, oh dear God, he's dead. And any time I have the, oh dear God, he's dead moment, I consider that pretty high up on the injury list. Cody Benoit, at Coach B 72 takes us back into the NAI draft with a look at his roster, and he even went ahead and booked his own WrestleMania, which I think is a super cool idea. Now I really want to see Finn Balor fight Bray Wyatt, so thanks, Cody. Once again, NAI draft is still not done yet. NAI draft A is in round 14 or 15, but I encourage anyone listening from draft pools B or C to get your ideas on your roster out on our website pretty soon. I said we'd vote in September. It's technically August. Time is ticking away. Frequent Friday freelancer at NXT underscore fan 916 gives us a review of week one of Ultima Lucha. Now, I still have not been persuaded by anyone to watch Lucha Underground, though now that we're at the point that I had spoiled so many weeks ago, I'm slightly more inclined to check it out, I will admit. Either way, thanks to... It occurs to me I don't even know your name, but at NXT underscore fan 916. Thanks for making sure that the neighborhood has some Lucha Underground coverage. At Prozac85 has a really good piece on China... That's the wrestler, not the country, and her candidacy for the Hall of Fame. I love when Zach writes for NAI. He's exactly the kind of neighbor we all need. Insightful, intelligent, and always looking to improve. If you're too young to remember China, first of all, get off my lawn. And second, go ahead and check out Zach's piece. Even if you know the history and just want a comprehensive look at all the facts, it's worth checking out. Main Event Swerve, another common contributor, has an excellent post on the Divas Revolution, and whether or not it'll last. Now I agree with the general thesis of this piece. The success of the Divas division ultimately rests on who is in control. If Triple H and Stephanie are in control, they seem legitimately interested in making the Divas division competitive and meaningful. Vince and Kevin Dunn, on the other hand, are always more focused on mainstream appeal and the ratings of their stupid reality shows. I don't want to go too far down this road, but it's definitely something I think is worth discussing. So head over to NewAgeInsiders.com and do just that. NAI draft member and my friend across the pond, the Lord Jalapeno, at the Lord Jalapeno, has another thrilling edition of the NAI King of the Ring. If you're unfamiliar with that, Jalapeno has taken members of the neighborhood and put them in a tournament, using dice to determine who wins. If that sounds uber nerdy to you, you obviously weren't an only child like Jalapeno and I were. At least I think Jalapeno was an only child. The Lord does a great job writing some excellent written matches based on what, in its essence, is a silly idea. And while I didn't win my most recent matchup with NAI Hall of Famer Joe Bowman, it was a whole lot of fun to read about my loss. I have airbrushed tights. I did a move that I remember watching from Death Before Dishonor and tweeting about. So seriously, go read this. It's pretty fun. I think Jalapeno is onto something that's pretty hot. See what I did there? Our final two NAI Fan Friday articles come from the same man, 
Jimmy F at Jimmy Ya Dig. J I M M Y Y A D I G. The first one talks about alternatives to WWE. Though based on the columns I just listed, the neighborhood seems to be full of people watching all sorts of wrestling. The second column is probably my favorite idea of the week, and not just because it was an idea that I may or may not have come up with. Jimmy books himself a fantasy supercard, the WWE roster versus the Ring of Honor roster. Now, I'm not going to just comment on the website, even though I should, and I encourage you all to go and comment on the website. Sneak preview of part of your homework. But I thought I'd book my own supercard here on the podcast. And in order not to be influenced but by what Jimmy wrote, I booked all of mine sight unseen, which means I didn't read Jimmy's article until after I finished my own. I had so much fun with this that it's going to wind up being a two-day super card. There were just too many matches. I actually booked 22 matches, so that's too much for one night of wrestling. I took most of the serious injuries into account. Sorry, Sami Zayn, maybe you'll be in next year's one. And I've gone ahead and actually booked them in some sort of a pay-per-view style order as well. Now, it is my belief that you need to start off a pay-per-view and event a card with a really excellent match, set the tone for the night or the weekend to come. So the very first match for day one of my Ring of Honor WWE Supercard features the man that gravity forgot, Neville, versus the man with the random lawyer and the wrench in his hand, Cedric Alexander. I was tempted to go with Neville versus ACH here, but I think Cedric is the overall better wrestler, and I have plans for ACH down the road in day two. So first match, Neville versus Cedric Alexander. The next match is the only mixed roster match of the weekend, and what I mean by that is a Ring of Honor and a WWE guy versus another Ring of Honor and a WWE guy. Actually, an NXT guy, technically. And this is really just so I can book the team I want to see so badly. Silas Young and Bull Dempsey taking on another team that makes a lot of sense, I think. Dalton Castle and Tyler Breeze. Not only are these entertaining partnerships, but there's a history and a story that I could use if I was booking this match, say, tomorrow. Silas Young and Dalton Castle are in a feud right now, it seems, on Ring of Honor. And it's Tyler Breeze's fault that so much attention is being paid to Dempsey's weight. So it seems like a natural match to me. Again, Silas Young and Bull Dempsey versus Dalton Castle and Tyler Breeze. Next up, Stardust takes on Adam Page from The Decade. And the only reason I booked this match is because Adam Page from The Decade looks like Oliver Queen slash Arrow slash Stephen Amell, who may or may not be feuding with Stardust at some point in our future. Seriously, if you've never looked at them side by side, go ahead. It's eerie how much they look alike. The primetime players are in our next match, taking on Taven and Bennett of the Kingdom. I don't have much else to say about that match. Some of these matches I'll go into some detail. If others I'm just going to talk about and move on. So, the Kingdom versus primetime players, that's next. That's followed by the battle of the next big things. Donovan Dijak takes on Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns might not be the next big thing the same way Dijak is, but I'm excited to watch these two square off. The Young Bucks are up next, taking on my new favorite tag team in the world, Jason Jordan and Chad Gable. 
Yes, you heard that right. I'm putting Jason Jordan and Chad Gable, who've had two matches together on NXT television, against, arguably, the best tag team in the world right now. And I gotta tell you, I don't feel bad about it at all. That's how high I think Gable and Jordan's ceiling is. The next match is Randy Orton battling Roderick Strong, a battle of two ring veterans that could very possibly steal the show, although I think a lot of these matches could steal the show. This would be followed by Red Dragon versus New Day, the two very serious mat-based wrestlers versus, well, the guys who skip to the ring. But I'd still watch it. That would be great. All right, we're heading into our main event tier here on day one of the Ring of Honor WWE Supercard, as written by me, DC Matthews. This one is the battle between two legitimate tough guys with serious fighting chops both in and out of the ring. Nakamura from New Japan versus, wait for it, Rusev. Let me say that again. Nakamura versus Rusev. That's followed up by the Battle of the Franchises, one of our co-main events for day one. Mr. WWE versus Mr. Ring of Honor. John Cena versus Jay Briscoe. Both of them are the franchise players, the icons of the companies. Cena versus Jay Briscoe, co-main event of night one. And our final match is a triple threat match. AJ Styles versus Adam Cole versus Kevin Owens. Some of the best wrestling in the world will take place that night, and especially during that match. Let's take a minute to breathe here, give you a chance to finish your fangirl screaming. If this was happening, we'd sleep off the buzz of day one and get ready for day two, and day two would begin. Again, you want to start off with a match that is guaranteed to get people on their feet, Day two begins, the Lucha Dragons versus ACH and Matt Seidel. We'll keep that going, the enthusiasm up, we'll keep the energy flowing with a battle of the crazies. The Lunatic Fringe, Dean Ambrose, takes on the Suffolk County Chicken Man, the Sandy Fork Chicken Guy, I don't know his nickname, Mark Briscoe. Dean Ambrose versus Mark Briscoe. And if you can tell me what Mark Briscoe's nickname is, I know there's chicken in there and a word with an S, I'd appreciate it. After those two matches, we might need a break, something to come down with. So this match, we're going to feature Cheeseburger. In case you've missed it, there's a wrestler named Cheeseburger, and I'm not happy about it, versus Cheeseburger's going to face King Barrett. Why? Who cares? Because you know what's going to happen Cheeseburgers gonna win. I'm just so sad there's a wrestler named Cheeseburger. Right, anyways, you know, you know how I feel about this. Let's move on. Uh, Rapongi Vice versus the Vaude Villains in our next match. Entertaining tag teams could do well together. That would be followed by Moose versus Sheamus. A battle of two big brawling guys. I considered Moose versus Ryback, but they'd both injure each other. We can't have that. And after Moose versus Sheamus, Alberto El Patron versus Dolph Ziggler. Now, I'm sure if I looked back in the history over the years that I wasn't watching wrestling, I'm sure Del Rio, or the former Del Rio, versus Dolph Ziggler happened many times, so I imagine they could have a really good match on our Supercard. Back into the tag team scene next, where the Addiction battles Enzo and Cass. 
I think the build to this match would be better than the match itself. I'm not a huge fan of Enzo and Cass in the ring. We'll talk more about that when I talk about NXT later on in the show. But if anyone's going to get a good match out of Enzo and Cass, it's Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. Sorry, I just had to get a drink of water. I'm trying to do these all in as close to one take as I can, so I had to get a drink of water here to get me through. Next up, after Enzo and Cass versus The Addiction, we have The Battle of the Strongmen. Michael Elgin versus Cesaro. This match, for all I care, could be just the two of them holding each other up in vertical suplexes at the same time, mind you, for 15 minutes, and I would still watch. Elgin and Cesaro is next. All right, after that, we would have War Machine taking on Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. A big, brawling kind of match. I considered making this some sort of Falls Count Anywhere street fight seems to be what these guys would do. I just want to see that moment where Bray Wyatt and Warbeard Hansen are face-to-face in the ring. Luke Harper and Roe, I think that's the name of Hansen's tag team partner, facing off in the ring, and it's just beards everywhere. All right. We've got our co-main events for day two. And if you've been playing along at home, crossing off things on your roster, you have an idea of what's coming next. Co-main event one. Ready? Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe. He's technically on the Ring of Honor roster. He's technically on the NXT roster. It would work. Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe. Battle of the suplexes, battle of the submission holds. Call it whatever you want. Awesome is what it's going to be. And our final match, Battle of the Champions. It is a fatal four-way elimination match. Seth Rollins, Jay Lethal, Finn Balor, and Okada. The WWE Champion, the NXT Champion, the Ring of Honor Champion, and the IWGP Heavyweight Champion, all in the same ring at the same time. Oh my. Tell me something, neighbors. If this were to happen, if magic, if I became Harry Potter and could cast my magic spells and I made this happen, how much would you pay for a ticket to see that live? 22 matches, all of those great teams. Would you pay $150 a ticket? Would you pay $300 a ticket? No matter what you would pay, I think we can safely say this is a definition of a shut up and take my money situation. All right, I'm going to take a minute and look at Jimmy's own supercard. We had a similar ideas. We both had Reigns versus Dijak. I like that. Uh, he also had a great idea, uh, Kyle O'Reilly from Red Dragon versus Cesaro. I'd watch that match every day of the week. And I also noticed something interesting. I didn't book any women's wrestling. I didn't even think of it. Mainly because, to the best of my knowledge, from what I've seen, limited watching of Ring of Honor... There is no women's wrestling. I haven't seen ODB in a match. I haven't seen Maria in a match. I don't even think Mandy Leon's a wrestler. But regardless. Cool idea, Jimmy. Great job on your end. Hope you like mine as well. Thanks for being a part of Fan Friday. I encourage you. I invite you. I implore you. Go over to NewAgeInsiders.com. Check out all of our fantastic Fan Friday features. Leave a comment if you want. Have some fun, and hopefully we'll see you next week on Fan Friday, and you'll hear about yourself here on the Neighborhood Podcast. We've spent some time discussing wrestling, so now it's time, as it always is, for some random ramblings. I started going to the gym again recently. 
mainly because after seven or eight years living in an apartment complex that has a free fitness center, I finally got around to figuring out how to open the door. Uh, they have a, kind of like a number pad, so I assumed there was a code, and I think at one point I had the code, and it hasn't worked in years, and so finally I went to the leasing office and talked to them, and apparently they changed it, and now you need a key, so I got the key so I can go to the gym. I'm not doing much. 30 minutes on the elliptical is enough for me for right now. But there are a couple of other regulars that I've seen who do a whole lot more than that. Or do they? Now, in my complex, the elliptical machines are along a wall of mirrors for reasons that escape my reasoning. So I get the chance to peek over every now and then when I'm not watching Jeopardy, because sometimes I go on the elliptical while Jeopardy's on. And I check out what my fellow working out compatriots are up to. And quite frankly, a whole lot of it is just sitting around, or walking around really slowly. Now, I get that you want to let your muscles rest in between reps, but I'm not impressed anymore when people tell me they spend one to two hours in the gym every day. If the majority of that time is going to be spent just walking around or hanging around, you're not really working out for two hours, are you? Plus... Do you really need to make all of those scandalous-sounding noises when you work out? Do you really need to do that? I have headphones in both of my ears when I'm at the gym, and I still hear sounds that make me think there should be a necktie on the doorknob somewhere. If you don't know what that means, wait till you get to college, you'll figure it out, and get off my lawn. Methinks that thou doth grunt and groan too much, gym working out people. And I worry about you. I worry about muscle strains, if not just some sort of vocal nodule problem, if you're going to keep screaming and grunting the whole time. But regardless, I was a little heel DC moment. I didn't even know it was going to happen. It just came right up there, friends. But all that's important is that I'm focusing on getting fit. And I was inspired by one of my wrestling heroes. That's right, folks. You know who I'm talking about. You know who it is. Everyone's favorite, yours and mine, Bull Dempsey. Which means, let's talk about some NXT. Now, this week's show was probably my favorite NXT episode in weeks, if not months. And not just because of the Bull Fit segment. I'm going to be really careful when I say that. The Bull Fit segment, which was phenomenal. Now, I've been bemoaning the problems with the NXT singles division for a while now. And I, I, I haven't fixed that. I still have concerns. But it occurred to me while I was writing this, while I was getting ready, prepping for the show, that I'm, in many ways, the Pope of promoting positivity. I'm the promoting positivity Pope. So I should probably put my money where my mouth is when it comes to NXT. So instead of talking about the singles division... Let's talk about the tag division, which is incredible, happening, incredible tag team wrestling happening in NXT right now. You've got Enzo and Cass. You've got Bamf, the Blake and Murphy factor. Again, unless you're going to be Nightcrawler, don't call yourself Bamf. Better be able to teleport. You've got Enzo and Cass. You've got Bamf. You've got the Vaudevillains. You've got Dawson and Wilder. And you've got the aforementioned Gable and Jordan. And they're taking the ball and they're running with it down there at Full Sail, which is exactly what you want to see from your developmental league. Last week's show featured three tag matches. I don't even know how you fit six wrestling matches into an hour when WWE can barely fit two or three into an hour most times. They had three tag matches. And considering an hour, that's that's impressive. Now, 
based on past history and what I've seen recently, I think we can safely assume that Enzo and Cass are at the tail end of their NXT run. They've been touring with the WWE live event shows for a while. They put over Dawson and Wilder. We'll talk more about them in a minute, which is the MO. MO, for those of you playing at home, stands for modus operandi, the mode of operating. The MO for people on their way out of the developmental territory. On your way out, you put over the next group of guys before you head to WWE. Now, I'm not going to say that that makes me full of optimism here because we have the careers of the graduating teams from the past. Lucha Dragons, they're doing okay for the most part. They're going to be probably in the tag team title picture at SummerSlam. Good for them. But then you have the Ascension. And we all know what happened with the Ascension when they got to the main roster. Now, Enzo and Cass have an advantage over those teams because they can use the microphone. In WWE, you will not be successful if you can't use the microphone. Victor and Connor from the Ascension can't use the microphone. They're not going to be a team that leads a division if they can't talk. Who are the teams that lead the division? New Day, they can talk. Primetime players, they can talk. Usos could talk, I suppose. I don't remember ever hearing the Usos talk, but they did, I, I, I would imagine. And I also imagine that Enzo and Cass will be full-time WWE talents by at least the start of the new year. That's kind of how Connor and Victor and the Lucha Dragons did it as well. Late fall, early winter, they showed up. They were there for the Rumble, letting into WrestleMania. I imagine that's what Enzo and Cass are going to do as well. Random aside, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I don't know what that means for Carmella. Another quick drink of water. I don't know what that means for Carmella. She's not ready to be a diva wrestler on the main roster. Does she need to be? I would say no. She could be a manager. We don't have a whole lot of managers. We have Lana and Summer. If you can count them as managers, we have Heyman and that's it. Carmella could be a manager on the main roster. But if they want her to be an actual female talent, she's going to have to stay in NXT for a while while Enzo and Cass move up. Last thing I'll say about that. I've already spoken about my love for Chad Gable and Jason Jordan. I won't go into too much except to say I've made my prediction. You know it, I know it. They're going to be the tag team champions in NXT by the end of 2015. I'm giving them August, September, five months. I'm giving them five months. I think in the next five months, they will be tag team champions. They are that good together. It just works super well. I've also been really impressed with Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder, two guys who've been around for a very long time, just looking for a gimmick to stick, it seems like. They were the Jamie Noble-style rednecks for a while. That didn't seem to work. But this new thing, this old-school tag team like the Andersons or the Brainbusters, this could work. Our NXT tag team champions don't have much in the way of character. They have nice hair, and they have a pretty manager, and that seems to be working enough. They're tag team champions, for goodness sake. If your gimmick is you showcase actual tag team wrestling, at one point during that match last week, I don't remember who it was, the one with the hair, I don't know which one that is, but the one with the hair grabbed Enzo, I think, 
kind of wrapped his legs around his leg, you know, held him down to make the tag. That's something you used to see Arn Anderson doing in the NWA all the time. That was what tag team wrestling was all about. If you're going to showcase tag team wrestling, if you're going to show a cohesive unit, that could make Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder contenders. And then they could even keep the nickname of the mechanics. A mechanic, if you don't know, is a wrestling term for an in-ring worker. When Steve Austin was in... WCW in the 90s. He wasn't going to be a main event guy. He was a mechanic. You could count on him to have a really good match. That's what Dawson and Wilder could be. They have a chance to be something special in NXT. The Vaudevillains are quality workers. I was really impressed with Simon Gotch during that tag title match. He was doing great stuff. The rolling arm bar and everything was awesome. I don't know what happened at the end, though, with the whole Alexa Bliss thing. It was awkward. You're not going to attack a woman. I get that, and I appreciate that. But they just stood there. She slapped them, and they just stood there. It was awkward. I was really hoping that a female vaudevillain would come out. Blue pants would be perfect for Aiden English and Simon Gotch right now. Blue pants as a vaudevillain? Come on. That's great. Uh, Speaking of Alexa Bliss, who is Bill Neville's soon-to-be wife, even though I don't think she knows it yet, you might want to tell her, Bill. But I think she needs to take a page from the Sunny playbook. Not today's Sunny. We're not going to talk about her. Sunny from the 1990s when she was a manager and the original diva. And I think she needs to chase the titles. Each time new champions are crowned, she joins up with them. She's part of the she's managing the gold, not necessarily the talents. Sunny did this in the 90s with the Body Donnas. Then she joined the Smoking Guns. Then she joined the Godwins. I think I have the order right. It might have been backwards. It might have been Body Donnas, Godwins, Smoking Guns. But regardless, you get the idea. It would work for Bliss as well. She's part of Banff right now. If, let's say, Dawson and Wilder won the title, she could, you know, become more of a redneck and join them. Jordan and Gable win the title. She could become a cheerleader for them. This could work out well for her. It occurs to me I forgot a team. I haven't mentioned the Hype Bros yet. So now I have mentioned the Hype Bros. Okay? Let's move on. I haven't done an NXT Top 10 in a very long time. I used to rank Top 10 guys. It was a a major part of my weekly columns. So let's dust it off. Let's get that old chestnut out and see what we've got. Now, I don't count talents with significant WWE experience. Kevin Owens might wrestle in NXT, but I'm not putting him in the NXT Top 10. I won't put Charlotte or Sasha or Becky in the NXT Top 10 either, which means you're going to have one diva, and that's it, just so you know. I'm giving out... I'm not even going to call it an honorable mention. I call it a dishonorable mention, though that doesn't the dishonor doesn't go to the talent I'm about to talk about. It goes to creative. The dishonorable mention goes to Tyler Breeze. Where is Tyler Breeze? He's gone. He's a security guard during the Undertaker-Brock Lesnar brawl, and he's gone. I haven't seen him on NXT in a long time. I really hope that the rumors I'm hearing that there's a stylist with an alternative sexuality, I'm hoping that that rumor is wrong, that it's going to be him. His gimmick right now, with the selfie stick and the vest and the posing, is perfect right now. All it needs is a wider audience. It would get over in WWE, I promise you. All right, top 10. Number 10 goes to Rhino. He's had a feud with Finn Balor, who's our NXT champion, so that counts enough for him to be our number 10 wrestler. Rhino, good for him. Number 9 is Bailey, and as I said, she's the only female wrestler in this rankings. 
She's going to win the title off of Sasha Banks. I think we all know that. And she'll be, for better or worse, the cornerstone of the women's division in NXT until she gets the call up. The problem is, the NXT women's division, even more so than the singles division, is there's nothing. You've got, if we assume that Sasha and Becky and Charlotte are gone, and we have to assume that, you've got Bailey, Dana Brooke, Emma, who's good, Carmella, who might be gone, Alexa Bliss, who isn't even a wrestler anymore, she's a manager, and that's it. Blue Pants and a couple of people who are so brand new, I think their names have changed a couple of times and nobody's even noticed. So Bailey might be stuck in NXT for a while until there's enough quality female talent to replace her. This broken hand may come back to bite her because she would have been, I still stand by Bailey Bella, I think it would have been great. I'm sure she'd rather be in WWE right now, but she's going to be the rock of that division for a while. So she was number nine. Number eight, Chad Gable and Jason Jordan. They've only had two squash matches, but they've had a lot of screen time. We've seen the promos backstage. That's really what matters. They're getting over without having to wrestle. Number seven goes to Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder, and that's solely because they beat Enzo and Cass. Enzo and Cass aren't tag team champions, but they are one of the premier tag teams in NXT. Now Dawson and Wilder have a win over them. Now, once Enzo and Cass leave, I don't know who the faces and the heels are going to be. I'm assuming the villains are good guys now, although they haven't said it. Uh, Blake and Murphy are bad. Jason and uh, Jordan and Gable are probably going to be good. The hype bros, I'm not going to... They're... I won't call them good, but they're popular at least through some weird sort of voodoo that I don't understand. Uh, But... You know, I don't know where Dawson and Wilder are going to fit into all that, but they I could tell you now that I can see them contending for the tag titles. I couldn't have said that two or three weeks ago. Number six, Bull Dempsey. And I'd rank him higher, but I'm afraid I'll be yelled at by you Twitter people because you think I'm being biased. And I am biased. I'm so biased. I love Bull Dempsey more than I love cauliflower. And I don't even really like cauliflower. I just wanted to pick something silly. But I, Bull Dempsey's great. NXT embraced how stupid this gimmick is. If a gimmick's gonna be dumb, you need to recognize that it's dumb and play off of the fact that it's dumb. Santino Morella, and I don't like this com- comparison already, just because I'm now lumping Bull Dempsey into the Santino comedy role, but Santino Morella was a dumb gimmick, and the reason he was so popular is because WWE embraced the fact that it was a dumb gimmick. They're doing that with Bull Dempsey, and it's hilarious. That Bull Fit, being very careful, Bull Fit segment won over Brandon Cox, who is a neighborhood member that I've been speaking to for months, and he has hated Bull Dempsey for as long as I can remember. So, if it's winning over this guy, it's definitely working. Is he going to win the NXT title based off of this? No. Do I care right now? No, not at all. If they keep doing cheesy 80s promos with this, I will be happy for at least another month or two. Number five, the Villains. They lost with the rolling of the tights and the distractions, so that means hopefully they'll get another title shot. I think they could win the belt. I think they should win the belt. Is the Vaudevillains a main roster gimmick? (laughs) No, I suppose not. Uh, But Aiden English and Simon Gotch have been given 
an unusual hand when it comes to gimmicks. This is a hard thing to get over. They've made the most of it. They're doing a great job. Number four, Samoa Joe. Now, I have yet to figure out what this Samoa Joe NXT roster thing is. I don't know what it is. Is he going to be long-term with WWE in three years, two years, one year even? Are we going to see Samoa Joe in WWE? I don't know. Is this something that by Christmas it'll be over and he'll be back to wrestling independence? I don't know. Is he? Is this it? Is he just the NXT guy who he has some main event style matches and then he helps put over the new waves of talent? I don't know. It's a mystery. But he's, once Owens is gone and he'll be gone by the end of this month, nary to be seen in NXT again, Samoa Joe's the next contender to Finn Balor's title. So he's number four. Number three, tag champs Blake and Murphy. They're still missing that thing, that je ne sais quoi, that will propel them to the main roster, but they are the tag team champions right now. So they're number three. Number two, we'll go with Enzo and Cass because they're maybe even weeks away from making their debut on Raw. And that's exciting to me because we could see, before WrestleMania, we could see Enzo and Cass versus New Day. And that would be a beautiful thing. And our number one NXT talent, not surprisingly, Finn Balor. He's the champion that has its advantages. I don't think he has a lot of great contenders. I don't know what's going to happen when Owens leaves. You've got, I put this out on Twitter just an hour or so ago. Who are the top five contenders to Finn Balor's title? Assuming Kevin Owens is gone. Samoa Joe. Maybe Tyler Breeze. The audio hasn't cut out. I'm just thinking. Baron Corbin, maybe based on a win-loss record. Rhino. After those four, you know who the number five contender is, according to me? And I'm not being biased. I'm serious. Bull Dempsey. It's not going to be Solomon Crow. It's not going to be Uha Nation, who hasn't even debuted yet. All the other people are in tag teams. Bull Dempsey is right now the number five contender for the NXT title with his dumb gimmick. But promoting positivity, I'm the Pope. Promoting positivity, home. Gotta pray for positivity. So, NXT's doing well. They've got a great tag team division, which is gonna help WWE in the long run. I enjoyed NXT. I'm actually looking forward to it next week. That wasn't the case a week or so ago. So, I should probably do some sort of WWE discussion before we get to our history books homework and get out of here on this week's Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you very much for sticking around. Um, So let's do an audio version of my frequent column, The Chief's Briefs. Quick comments, relatively rapid fire. Here we go. I imagine John Cena is going to wrestle at SummerSlam. He is a superhero. I imagine he'll be fixed up enough facially to wrestle. Um, He might not be able to fly. I don't think high altitudes are good for people with breathing problems and nasal injuries, but I think he'll wrestle at SummerSlam in Brooklyn in a couple of weeks. If he can't, though, here are three options that I think are the best options, and I'm not going in any particular order, for Seth Rollins to defend his title. I got into, I won't call it an argument, but some heated debate on Twitter with some of you because, including Jason Maltov, um, many of you are of the belief that the world title should be defended no matter what. I think the world title doesn't need to be offended, defended, not offended, especially when you've got Brock versus Taker. I don't think the world title needs to be defended 
if there's not a really good story. I don't need a throw-in match. I don't need Rollins versus Orton because we can't come up with anything else. But, since there probably will be, you, most of you are probably right in that Rollins will have a match, so here are three options. Number one, Rollins versus a masked Kane. They had kind of mended fences, although I'm sure they can come up with some reason for the two of them to feud again. Lots of history here. If you bring back the devil's favorite demon, Seth Rollins now has a real obstacle to overcome, and since he'd almost guaranteed win, that would be good for him, for his credibility, which had taken a hit earlier in the year. I've talked about that before. Plus, at some point during SummerSlam, you got a four-hour show, Kane's wearing the mask, Undertaker's around, the Brothers of Destruction will have some sort of segment, which I think would be good. Number two. Seth Rollins versus Cesaro versus Kevin Owens in a triple threat match. He's already wrestled Cesaro a bunch of times, and I don't know if his face-off with Owens has been on television. I've seen pictures online. Um, Maybe it was on SmackDown, but if it was, nobody watches SmackDown, so who cares? You could do the Rollins-Owen thing fairly easily, tease some of their history. I'm assuming there's some Ring of Honor history there. I don't know. Uh, But if you want to go for the best option purely from a wrestling match standpoint, it would be Rollins-Cesaro-Owens triple threat. Third option. You have a battle royal. Maybe it's the Raw the week before SummerSlam. Maybe it's the first match of SummerSlam. You have a battle royal, and the winner gets a title shot. You admit that your kind of plans have changed. John Cena can't wrestle. Seth Rollins needs, you know, you want to defend the title on this big show. You have a battle royal. Now, I thought that's how Ron Simmons won the WCW title. It was in my memory that Ron Simmons won a battle royal, then later that night beat Vader to win the title. That's not actually what happened. Memories are not set in stone, concrete, guaranteed to be the truth. Ron Simmons won a raffle. They actually had a raffle. The very first African-American world champion in professional wrestling won his title because, for all intents and purposes, he won the lottery. No wonder there's an issue with, you know what, never mind. Let's not go there today. We've talked about that enough. If you did have a battle royal, that opens the possibilities up for anyone, using my famous air quotes here, which NAI Pod now uses as well, air quotes, anyone can win. It could be Owens, could be Cesaro, could be Ambrose, could be Orton, could be Big Show, could be anybody, could even be Neville. It would be a total throwaway match, but Neville versus Rollins, that would be pay-per-view quality. And right now, Neville doesn't have a match that I can think of for SummerSlam, while most of those other guys do, so that would be fun. And again, like I just said, there's a problem in that if Cesaro wins, is he going to have to win the Battle Royal, then fight Kevin Owens, then fight Rollins as well? That seems a little much. Although, if that happened... Roman Reigns. He's a Battle Royal monster. He won the Royal Rumble, so he wins the Battle Royal. He still has to fight Bray Wyatt, or he and Dean Ambrose have to fight Wyatt and Harper, however they're going to do that. And then he has to fight Rollins in the co-main event. That builds it in. You know, Roman Reigns is overcoming obstacle after obstacle to try to get back into that title picture. This would be another way to do that. All right, that wasn't very brief, that particular segment, so I'm going to try to pick up the pace here. One of the things that Doc Manson and I discussed on our Lost podcast was Bray Wyatt and his ceiling. 
How good can he get? How high can he get? Is he stuck in that tier two heel role? And we both agreed that he did, but we debated whether or not Bray himself has any control over breaking through that, or if, like you think we see with Wade Barrett, he's been put in this position, the powers that be say, this is who you are, and that's that. Now, I tried to make the argument, it didn't work very well, but I tried to make the argument that if Bray Wyatt had a chance for a larger stable, he could get over that hump. If he was ruling his own Ministry of Darkness, the Wyatt family being like the Ministry of Darkness, he, you could see him as a world title contender. Doc didn't buy it, he was probably right, but just for fun, here would be my larger Wyatt family stable. Luke Harper, of course. He's the Arn Anderson to Bray's Ric Flair, the enforcer, the last guy you get through before you get to Bray, Luke Harper. The Ascension, they're doing nothing. They even look like they should be part. They look like the Acolytes looked when they were part of the Ministry of Darkness. They're already tailor-made for that. Adam Rose, or Leo Kruger, or whatever he's going to call himself. Dark Rose would be what I'd call him. He's hinted at it on Twitter. Why not? Let's go for it. Adam Rose is part of the Wyatt family. Maybe he brings Rosa with him. Maybe he doesn't. I think a female in that group would be fun. You don't have a lot of females in the dark ones. In the dark stables, I mean. Although, come to think of it, Rosa Mendez being the female leading in the dark stable might be too much like Katrina from Lucha Underground, so maybe they wouldn't go that way, but it's possible. And finally, of course, Bo Dallas. The double-headed, the double-headed, I'm talking too fast, trying to get everything out here, the double-headed Rotunda Brother cult. That's a tongue twister. I think is a great idea. I've written about it. I've talked about it. You know how I feel about it. They're both saying the same thing. This is the point I made to Doc last night before Flash crashed and we lost it. They're both saying the same thing. Bray Wyatt will save you if you believe in him. Bo Dallas knows you can succeed if you believe. You can put the two of them together, I think. Last point I'll make on Wyatt, and this has not been the Chiefs' brief edition at all. This has been the Chiefs' just rambling edition. But last point I'll make on Wyatt. If we're going to see at SummerSlam Ambrose and Reigns versus Wyatt and Harper, which to me is where it's going, Sting has no business in this match at all. And if you try to force him in it, it's not going to work. I think it's a foregone conclusion if this match happens. One Shield Brothers going to turn on the other. Much to the chagrin of Cody Burris out there on Twitter, it makes sense for it to be Dean. He's doing nothing in a face role. He could be a heel. He could be an excellent heel. A Dean Bray Unholy Alliance would be amazing. And just like with the Battle Royal idea I had earlier, Roman Reigns' path to glory gets more interesting if you put more obstacles in his way. He got turned on by Seth Rollins. He gets turned on by Dean Ambrose. It's him against the world before he gets that world title. All right. This week in history. Not the greatest this week in history. Not, you know, we, we've had Shawn Michaels. We've had other big names. I didn't see a whole lot of huge names in this week in history, but let's talk about it. You're going to hear this Sunday, August 2nd. Birthdays for Sunday, August 2nd. Butterbean, the boxer who was part of the Brawl for All, arguably one of the worst decisions the WWF has ever made ever in its life. The stupid Brawl for All. Butterbean is 49. Jim the Anvil Neidhart, member of the Hart family dynasty, father to Natty, Natalia, 
the only diva not part of the diva revolution, apparently, despite arguably being a better wrestler than maybe all of them. Jim Neidhart is 59. And the first real big man in professional professional wrestling that I can remember reading about, Haystacks Calhoun, who was five 600 pounds, was born in 1934 on August 2nd. August 3rd, the only birthday I saw worth noting is Damien Sandow. He had his own day a couple of days ago, apparently. I didn't know about it until afterwards. But Damien Sandow will be 33. That brings us to Tuesday, August 4th. Frankie Kazarian of the Addiction Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions is 38. Japanese superstar Kensuke Sasaki is 49. He had a run in WCW briefly. I've seen him in my quest to watch all the pay-per-views. And one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, the Iceman, the Man of a Thousand Holds, Dean Malenko, is 55 years old. If you don't know who Dean Malenko is, get on the WWE Network, go to WCW 95, 96, 97, watch yourself some Dean Malenko. He is phenomenal. All right, that's Wednesday, August 5th. Sin Cara is 38. No wonder he can't fly around the ring like Callisto. He's 38 years old. Pat Tanaka, formerly or most famously of the Orient Express, is 52. Stan Lane, famously of the Midnight Express, is 62. And Mildred Burke, if you don't know that name, I don't blame you. Mildred Burke was, to my memory, to my recollection, um, one of the first really talented, famous women's wrestlers. She was born in 1915, 100 years ago today, Miss Mildred Burke. Happy birthday to you, dear lady. Thursday, August 7th, Bram is 29. In case you didn't know, Bram has signed a contract with TNA Wrestling. That's a running joke on Twitter, because that apparently qualifies as big news. He is also either dating or married to Charlotte. That's actually really why he's famous. doesn't matter about TNA. Uh, Dino Bravo, Canadian Strongest Man former WWE wrestler who I believe was shot 17 times and killed Uh, but he was born August 6th 1947 and Jimmy Valiant was born in 1942 Jimmy Valiant was a uh, wrestler in the 70s and 80s he wore a mask and was downtown Charlie Brown I don't know why but he was I saw him on Starcade once he was born in 1942 August 7th Friday Sable Rena Marrow Formerly married to Johnny B. Bad slash Mark Marrow, now married to Brock Lesnar. She will be 48 years old. And Asia, not to be confused with China, they, in WCW, late in its run, when it was just grasping at straws, it found a bodybuilder woman and called her Asia, which apparently meant she was better than China. She's 49, in case you cared. I bet you didn't. That takes us to Saturday, August 8th. Uh, TNA former manager, the head of Team Canada, Scott Demore, is 41. Also was, I think, a writer and a booker. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, I remember talking about him because he died in, sometime in July, I believe. But he was born August 8th, 1928. And the one death I will talk about, Ed strangler Lewis, one of history's great professional wrestlers from the early part of the 20th century, died August 8th, 1966. All right, homework for the week. We are, where are we? Oh my goodness, we're almost at an hour. Despite the fact that this was a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants edition of the Neighborhood Podcast, I've been talking for almost an hour. Thank you for bearing with me. I have two homework assignments for you. Hopefully you watched um, 
the debut of Shockmaster. Was that last week? I think that was last week's homework. I then wrote about Halloween Havoc 93. Hopefully you watched that too. Not that you did. You you are all busy people. I appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. But your homework for the week, I have two. Um, and they're both actually fairly easy. It doesn't really require WWE Network at all unless you want it to. Uh, homework assignment number one. Head over to NewAgeInsiders.com. Go to the Discuss section. Find an article that you like. doesn't even have to be from Fan Friday, though it could be. We had some great articles, thanks to everyone who participated. Find an article you like and leave a comment. In my perfect world, all of our discussions, or many of our discussions, would take place on NewAgeInsiders.com. There's not a character limit. You know how hard it is to get a point across when you're trying to fit it into 140 characters? Of course you do. You're on Twitter. NewAgeInsiders.com allows us to talk very easily without worrying about character limits. It allows us to get our full point across. Go to NewAgeInsiders.com. Leave a comment for an article, please. If it's one of mine, I'll try my best to write back. Homework assignment number two. I'd like you to watch a wrestling match this week. And I mean it when I say actually watch a match. Here's what I want you to do. Find a match you want. Maybe you're watching Death Before Dishonor. Maybe you're watching Ultima Lucha, Raw, whatever. Put the computer away. Unless you're watching it on the computer, in which case that would be a dumb idea. But if you're watching it on TV, put the computer away. Put Twitter away. And just watch the match. Put your eyes on the screen for as much of the match as you can and watch it. One of the reasons I think we've been so angry at the announcing lately is because we're not watching wrestling anymore. We're listening to wrestling. We're watching Twitter. You're on Twitter. You're tweeting. You're engaging. And while that's wonderful, you're not watching wrestling. You're trusting Michael Cole, JBL, Byron Saxton, Kevin Kelly, uh, King Carino, Vampiro, Matt Stryker, whoever. You're trusting them to tell you the story. And since they don't do a good job of it, or many of them don't, We get angry about that. Don't worry about that anymore. Watch the match. You'll be surprised how good wrestling is when you watch it. A few weeks ago, I watched Ryback versus The Big Show. If I was just on Twitter, I'd have been making fun of it the whole time, and I would have said the match was dumb or bad or terrible. It wasn't. It was actually quite good. And the only reason I know that it was actually quite good is because I watched the match. I tried to get the hashtag of call the match trending. I still think that's a good idea. Kevin Owens, Titus O'Neil, many people are kind of picking up not necessarily the hashtag, but the, the sentiment, and I appreciate that. Here's my new hashtag. Watch the match. Just one match. I'm not asking you to do it for an entire pay-per-view or an entire Raw, but for one match, a match you might be interested in, put the technology away, get a piece of paper and a pen if you want to write down your thoughts. That's what I do sometimes. And actually watch the match. I guarantee you, you will be happy that you did. I'm hopeful that you're happy that you spent the last hour of your life listening to the Neighborhood Podcast. If you set it to faster speed, I don't blame you. I do that sometimes so I can get through my podcasts easier. Although I worry how I sound at a high rate of speed. I seem to talk very fast anyways. I hope you're happy that you listen to this podcast. I'm happy to have shared this 
with you. This is the Neighborhood Podcast. My name is DC Matthews at DC Matthews NAI. I am the Chief of Staff of the New Age Insiders. We are the premier place for wrestling fans to connect, discuss, and to be heard. We are getting bigger every single day. That is thanks to you. So, my friends, I hope to see you on Twitter. I hope to see you watching the match. I hope to see you on NewAgeInsiders.com. I will see you around the neighborhood. Have a good week, friends.